just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. All right. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. You know, I uh, learned about uh, today's guest a few weeks ago, and when I understood the subject matter of what he cares about and what his new book is about, I figured, because uh, it's really, really significant to how I'm conducting my life and my business, and I imagine this applies to virtually everybody listening to this conversation. Uh, it's about time management, and it's a lot deeper than just that subject. So it's going to be a very important conversation. I know that I'm going to learn an awful lot, and uh, just reading up on this gentleman, I've already kind of rethought how I spend my time, how I plan my time, which is a critical element to this. So let's get to it. I'm joined by Edward Brown. He's the president and founder and co-chairman of Cone Brown Management Group and the author of a new book called The Time Bandit Solution, Recovering Stolen Time You Never Knew You Had. Ed, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Now, it's good to have you. I appreciate, you know, I know how important time is to you, so I appreciate you you carving out some time to join us. We're going to get into this book and a lot of critical lessons that you'll share with us. Uh, but before we go there, take a few quick seconds, tell us a bit about you and your background, and then give us a quick run-through of what Cone Brown Management Group is all about. Todd, I'm going into my 80th year, and I've spent the last three and a half decades in the study of time and, and how interruptions waste our time and is the most dreaded loss of uh, time and the greatest distraction that we have. And I'd like to begin by telling you some statistics. According to Basics Research, in 2005, the cost of the United States alone of uh, interruptions was $588 billion. And this was published on CNN and they stated that the growth of this loss was 7% a year. That would mean in 2015, this year, we will have spent $1 trillion or more on the loss of the time that we'd otherwise devote to increase productivity and efficiency. So Todd, I am on a crusade and have been on a crusade for the past three and a half decades to stop time wasting. We have so little of it and it's our most precious commodity. I want to repeat what you said. Do you think you estimate roughly in 2015 there will be one trillion, trillion with a T lost? Trillion with a T. I mean, I can't even get my head around that number, Ed. I mean, that that's a. I mean, if you had said 500 million, it would have been a staggering number to me. But to to say trillion, I mean, that that's the only problem with that statistic is that that's a number that most people can't even fathom what that really means. And, I know. and another way to illustrate the point is I was reading up on some of your material that each of us lose three to five hours, not in a week, but in a day. That changes everything if you get that time back, yeah? Yes, just think about it. It's, it's, it's Three to five hours a day is 40 to 60% of your productivity day. And thus, we become multitask and make mistakes and become very frustrated by the cause of interruptions. Because 
when you, Todd, are doing something like writing a report or others are writing uh, anything else and thinking that requires great concentration and build the momentum, and someone next to them or you say, Todd, you got a minute, that breaks your momentum. And the five time loss factors that are the cost of loss of momentum are the interruption itself, the effect the interruption has on momentum, the hope and dream that we could get back to where we left off, which we never can. This means we have to start from scratch and do over everything we started. This leads to distress. Distress leads to fatigue and other manifestations that make the day much longer. And we wish we could do anything at all about this, and we can't. Well, I think part of the discussion here, Ed, ought to be the fact that there is, as you call it, an interruption culture. And frankly, the key point to what you say there is that we're okay with it. Because let me just give you an example. As I was preparing for this conversation, I was reviewing some notes that your team provided me. And as I was reviewing them and going through them, I looked up at my machine and saw a new ping. Uh, someone retweeted something on Twitter. So I paused and I looked at that, checked it out. And then I went back to reviewing my notes. And then all of a sudden, someone on Facebook said something. And so I paused and I looked up at that and I engaged in a little dialogue. That's part of what the problem is here, right? We complain that we don't have enough hours in the day. We complain that we're stressed. We complain that we're fatigued. We complain that we just, I can't do everything that my boss wants me to do. But yet we're almost solely responsible for that lost time, right? We are totally our own worst enemies, solely <laughs> responsible. Talk more about this interruption culture because it's, it's far more pervasive than anyone probably even realizes. Todd, to, to begin with, I believe that the internet has replaced the water cooler, yeah. and we socialize, and we use the internet and its progenies, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and everything else, when we should be focusing on increasing productivity and efficiency. And that's the real world. Well, the, the internet, I mean, the internet's changing everything in a positive way in that it's affording us the means to communicate. It's affording us a, w a way to be educated and aware of things oftentimes in real time. These are good things, but the key message to you is that, yeah, these are good things. However, you have to acknowledge the fact that in, in communicating freely and as often as you want and dropping everything at the, at the drop of a hat to consume new information is costing you significant time. That's right. And if you're a boss and you think it's you that's the time bandit, you're not the time bandit. You're the people that uh, report to you are. See, colleagues are, represent 80% of all the time bandits. So there's a, clients are time bandits, family, friends are time bandit, and the boss is a time bandit. But the person sitting closest to you, your colleague, is the greatest time bandit. And it's with the colleague that I recommend ritual time lock agreements are entered into. Wait, I could say to you, Todd, and I love you, Todd, and, and I, I could spend the whole day discussing everything that interests you, probably interests me, but I can't afford to allow that to happen. And I could ask you, Todd, do you have time bandits? Am I a time bandit? And make a light conversation out of a very serious issue. And a, a mutual time lock agreement is this. For certain hours of every day, you and your colleagues and anyone else who could be an interrupter or a time bandit agreed to give you freedom of interruptions. And it's during that period that you devote yourself to your greatest task, role, and responsibility. Well, 
to anyone who's listening to this, and if you just heard what Ed said, in terms of, I mean, that's how I have to do it, Ed, in terms of thinking about getting a project done or forcing myself to be distraction-free so that I can think and become creative about a project or work at hand. I mean, I have to schedule that time, and that's a critical lesson here. What I want to do, I want to quickly um, alert the audience that we're going to go to a break in a, in a minute, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Ed's five hacks to combating workplace distraction. So that's going to be the second half of our show is walking through these five hacks. But before we go there, Ed, I mean, another way to talk about what you just just discussed is this this dreaded scenario that happens every day, probably countless times, is a guy picks his head in your office and says, hey, you got a minute? That is, that's poison towards, towards losing time. So you have a very simple, very succinct, yet a very classy and very professional way to combat that. How, what do you do? I promise when you when you want to hear the whole story, I'll give it to you in the greatest detail. To begin with, allow me to tell all your readers and your viewers that I'm going to give them a free book and or a video on everything that we've discussed so far and everything else they can possibly think about when it comes to controlling interruptions and making them go away. stwm.com forward slash time bandit gives them a free ebook. And if they want the hardcover, they can have that and or the audiobook, no charge. All they need to do is go to my website and answer three simple questions, which are, how much time is lost to you each day as a result of interruptions that you don't want, are completely unnecessary and unproductive? How much time do you lose each week? And then how much time do you lose each month? The reason I need this is I'm writing my second book. Uh-huh which is entitled Let Go and Leap. And it's about behavior change and how we go about behavior change and have a good time doing it. All right, good stuff. Edward Brown will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeetler.com. All right. I'm back with Edward Brown, president and founder and co-chairman of Cone Brown Management Group and the author of a new book, the Time Bandit Solution, Recovering Stolen Time You Never Knew You Had. All right. So, Ed, I promised the audience that we were going to dive into your five hacks for combating workplace distractions. Uh, you start off by saying you have to transcend your environment. What do you mean by that? An air conditioner breaks down. Live your life like a barometer, not like a thermometer. Ignore uh, the air conditioning and ignore other external factors that you can't control. But the one thing that can you can control is interruptions. And the serious uh, cost of interruptions is three to five hours a day, every day, 40 to 60% of your productivity. That means you're working harder and you're not working smarter. 
let me give you a hypothesis. Any one of you listening to this program know that when you build the momentum, the quality of the work increases, mm -hmm. and the worst possible event that could take place is your colleague who you love, or, or your boss, or anyone else, leaning over and saying, hey, Todd, you got a minute? What that does, it breaks your momentum. When you do whoever it was that needed the favor is completed, then you seek to go back to where you left off. I call that restarts, and you can't restart. What you find is not only do you lose momentum, but you have to start from scratch and do what you had built the momentum doing all over again. This is immensely distressful, Todd, and the day suddenly gets longer, and you begin to lose the job satisfaction, at least for that day, unless you do what I suggest. Identify your time bandit. If he's a friend, if he's a colleague, ask him this question. A colleague, do you have any time bandits? I've been reading a book about interruptions, and it explains that some of us are losing an immense amount of time, as much as three to five hours a day as a result of interruptions. And they occur at the worst time when we build momentum and someone interrupts us. The reason I'm going through explaining it in this way, Todd, is I've been asked over and over again, how do you approach the time bandit? Yeah. How do you not offend them? And that's why everyone's so reluctant to be out front with the time bandit. They don't want to hurt their feelings. But the scripts that are contained in, in the book uh, that your audience is free to, to receive for free is read. The scripts for what do you say and how do you say what you say in such a way that the time bandit is not offended. In fact, they're grateful. They're grateful because they have the same problems you do. You have time bandits, they have time bandits, and their time bandits have time bandits and so on. Yep, that's the key point. Everybody you know has time bandits. So, all right, so the second hack is visualizing the ideal self. What do you mean by that? I have in the book something called psychological uh, techniques for building self-confidence and building an attitude each and every day. By when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, look in the mirror and ask yourself, who do I want to be today? If you're hygienic with your body, you've got to be hygienic with your brain. And I call that the mental hygiene process. And I visualize who I want to be that day. And I decide I'm going to have a great day. And if that little voice within says, no, you're not, you're going to have a crap day, that's a negative affirmation. You need to give it the right cross like you were boxing. And, and it is. It's like boxing. And I use that uh, analogy because uh, Muhammad Ali, who is probably the greatest uh, boxer of all time when it came to uh, using the uppercut, taught us that we can offset a negative affirmation with a positive affirmation such as, yes, I can. I can have a great day. I'm going to have a great day. Uh, that's visualizing the ideal self, Todd. Well, and when you get into that mindset, then you're more willing to do what it takes to build an environment by which you can be productive, and that means you'll be more willing to kill the time bandit. So, all right, so the third hack is psychological counterpunching. So uh, help us understand that. Okay. Just imagine you have a negative feeling that is going to ruin your day if you don't dispose of it, and thus... The description I gave you a moment ago about a cross uh, is offset by a, a right uppercut. 
negative offset by a positive works every time. Such as, I don't think I can do this. Oh, yes, you can. You need to build courage. Courage conquers fear. And translating of how you build confidence in yourself, all explained carefully in the book. Awesome. Awesome. I think the fourth hack is really, really critical. It certainly is the bane of my lost productivity and lost time is this idea that, I mean, I'm a big uh, to-do list maker and I love the process of checking things off a to-do list and I'll create meaningless tasks just because I like the process of, of knocking them off the list. But what you say is you have to know your critical few versus the minor many. I mean, this is a really critical lesson. It's one we all know. It's one we all intuitively understand. Most of us don't do it. Walk us through why Knowing your critical view is so important. Todd, are you familiar with the 80-20 rule? Oh, yeah. And you know that if we select the right 20% and we focus on that 20% and we implement it well, that will take care of the 80% of the other things that aren't as important. So I call this the critical few versus the minor many. And there's a methodology for identifying what's critical and what's not, by example. If, God forbid, you got a phone call that your kid was being carted off to jail. And on the other hand, your house was burning down and you wanted to make a decision as to what to do next. You know you have to get out of the house, otherwise you'll burn to death. And then you can look after your kid. So it's a matter of picking and choosing the difference between what's critical and what's not. Well, it's my assessment, uh, Ed, that most people really stink at that process, and I can say that because I know that I do. And so this is a really, really critical concept to understand And you, th- as you think about saving time and, and improving productivity. The final step, which, again, when you hear it, when you understand it, you know darn well that it's going to be a critical step in this. Uh, I think most of us don't do it. Again, it's one of those things we know, but we don't do, is this idea of creating a whole week plan. So Walk us through why we need to do that. Largely because we have our energy sometimes mostly in the morning. Others have our energy, greatest energy in the afternoon. And we're stronger on Monday than we are on Tuesday, stronger on Tuesday than we are on Wednesday. It's about fatigue and and, and energy. And you need to know when you're strongest and, and when you begin to Wayne, because you begin to get tired. And so if it's for you, it's Monday and Tuesday, do the critical few analysis versus the minor many and do your critical few on Monday and Tuesday and do your minor many Wednesday to Friday as well. If you find you're stronger in the morning than you are in the afternoon, do the toughest challenges in the morning and, and the least difficult challenges in the afternoon or the reverse. It's about bionics. Yeah, well... Ed, when I was young and stupid, I used to think I'm Superman all the time, and I never took that seriously. But as I've gotten older and more mature, I have learned exactly when I'm most efficient, most proficient, and productive. And and you have to really work hard to identify that because that's critical to being successful, being creative, and uh, connecting to the people around you. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, Ed, gosh, this has been, uh, it's criminal that we have such little time today. I hope our paths cross again. I would love to continue to dive into this subject further, but that's all the time we have for today. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of the book of the Time Bandit Solution? All right. It's just all they need to log, do is log in to stwm.com forward slash Time Bandit. Simple enough. 
All right. Edward Brown, the president, founder, and co-chairman of Cone Brown Management Group and the author of a new book, The Time Bandit Solution, Recovering Stolen Time You Never Knew You Had. Ed, it was a real pleasure to spend some time with you. It was my pleasure, Todd. I want to leave the audience with one thing. Yeah. If you don't control your time, you don't control your life. And to remember that executional excellence is the true chariot of genius. So uh, time is important for not only productivity, but for efficiency as well. Ed, I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation again on behalf of my guest, Edward Brown. I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.